So we've been, over the last few weeks, I've looked at, I started off by looking at a, a prophetic picture I felt God give us with regard to replanting. You know that one? Um, and, uh, and then we've looked a little bit last week, we looked at uh, the need for us to know who we are in Christ so that as we live and follow him, then we have that understanding of what it means to be a child of God and who we are. Um, today, if you take notes and want a title, you can, um, I suppose, a mini-series, you could call it God the Gardener. Uh, and today we're looking at a subject called pruning, which uh, uh, John chapter 15 is our text, our main text. But uh, before we get into that, when we look at the world we live in, the world has got so many different things going on. When it comes to truth, that's pretty much, uh, if you believe it, then it's true for you. It's your truth. Truth has become something that's subjective and personal rather than something that's absolute. We've got issues in our culture where they, that term cancel culture, where it kind of makes people uh, afraid to voice what their belief is and stand up for what they believe is true and the opinions. Uh, you've kind of got people who love to give an opinion, but then you've got these other things which push us against that. Um, there's the fear of correcting people or giving a perspective because of what the world might say and, and a disagreement. And actually, the fact is that you can have your own opinion as long as it agrees with my opinion. Uh, that's kind of the view of the world. Uh, and that's what we live in. And uh, then there's, uh, at one stage, there was a whole move a number of years ago of self-help and self-whatever, which is still around. But there also seems to be more of a move now to going to others for help as in therapy and, and counseling. And so I'm not reducing any of those things. But what I'm saying is that actually that's the world, the reality that we live in. That's the reality that we face day in and day out. And in actual fact, we live in a world that is full of contradictions. In every single area. They have standards which are changeable, usually pertaining to themselves, but they hold others to standards that they themselves don't stand for. Uh, and you see it in government where they, they're, they're all these different things of people saying, well, they need to stand on those things and they need to be people of honor and respect and law and they have one law for themselves and another law for us. And, um, and that, that's just the way the world thinks. But in actual fact, the way the world lives is pretty much the same thing. I have my rules, and that, that's okay. I'm going to expect that there, but not here. And at the same time, they cry out for authenticity. Everybody wants people to be authentic. Yet, the world we live in is so anti you being authentic when it's standing on the truth of the word that we live in this contradiction. It's like, well, you, basically the world says you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be as long as it doesn't affect me. And if it does affect me, I'm probably not going to tell you, but I'll probably go and get counseling and then I'll tell you in 10 years' time what you did do wrong. That's how the world works. I know it's a very broad statement, but the elements of that that we face and that we live in every single day and yet no one calls them out no one calls them to question and no one calls them to a higher place of living which is in Jesus you see the world is built on foundations that are very weak and very shaky because they don't know him and that's the world that we live in unfortunately that way of thinking and that way of living often or sometimes also affects us as believers and how we relate to each other, how we relate as a church, how we relate to God. 
You see, we know what the word says. We know what God says about how we're to live, how we're to speak, how we're to behave. But we easily excuse our own failings. But we're quick to point out someone else's. But like the world. We know the truth that if we're to grow in him, which is becoming more and more like Jesus, being disciples to the discipleship, God, God's design for that is that we don't do it in isolation, but that we do it in community, walking together with others, speaking into our lives and us speaking into their lives. And we know all of that, but we don't give ourselves to it. And so we land up living in isolation rather than integration. We land up living separate, but together. And we wonder why we're not living fruitful lives that are full of the joy of God. And like this morning, the words that came about God shattering some things. I think he wants to shatter some of these mindsets and ways of doing things in our lives. We know what the word says. We tend not to encourage one another daily. And if I had to say, well, why don't we? You'd probably give me as many different reasons as there are people in the room. But it doesn't change the truth that we call to encourage one another daily. Now, I've by no means got this perfect. Please hear that. But we also don't call others out when we see them and we love them and we see them making bad decisions or going down wrong paths. And yet that's what we're called to do, is to call to be with one another and bring others back so that when people settle for the status quo, we can encourage them to believe God and believe him for the best that he has for us. And so when someone does venture beyond or over the boundaries that we put in place, I think sometimes we respond in a number of different ways. One is that we withdraw. We withdraw, we remove ourselves from those relationships, we batten down the hatches as if we're protecting ourselves from some, from some foreign invasion that suddenly happened because someone dared cross a boundary of relationship that I thought that I put up. I'm not talking about those things that are legitimate. I'm talking about actually friendship where we desire something but when someone calls us out we get offended and we withdraw and batten down the hatches like well I'm not going to be there anymore I'm going to do this. And we wonder why we don't live fruitful lives. Or we resist it and we just reaffirm our boundaries by blaming others. Well it was their fault that I did this. It was because of that that I did this. Which is nonsense. Well, sometimes we politely comply, but inwardly we stubbornly and defiantly remain unchanged. And unfortunately, every one of those situations is also sometimes how we behave when God speaks to us directly. When God says, what about this? It wasn't my fault, God. Because of this, this, and this, that's why. It doesn't cut it. God points his finger on something and suddenly we withdraw and say, well, I can't, I'm not good enough, I can't do so, I, I withdraw instead of pushing in. Or a little bit like Jonah, who um, uh, it was great that Virgus mentioned that this morning, of Jonah's calling out to God and God heard him. And, and, but why was Jonah there? Because he disobeyed God. And even when he did obey God in the end, he kind of did it reluctantly. He kind of did it and then called down, God, why haven't you killed them? Why haven't, I knew you would do this. And often we can respond the same way. When God challenges us with something, we, we kind of do the outward thing, but inwardly we like a rebellious child. That, you know, when you tell them to go and sit on the step because you're naughty some time out, they say, I'm sitting, but inside I'm standing up. That somehow we behave like that towards God. But there's a better way. 
There's a better way, and that's what God's calling us to, and that's what God is wanting to shatter those things that were brought during the worship of, uh, the things that rob us of that. And there's a better way, and that's a way of living as a true believer of God. Living with our lives open to all that God has to do and all that God has to say and all that God is asking for of us. And living within the boundaries that He sets. You see, last week we looked at who we are in Christ and that should be a very, if you've spent some time over the week looking at what that is, looking at those scriptures, pondering and meditating on those things and those truths, that should set us up with a foundation that is strong that we can then build on. Genesis chapter 1. The very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. God has created man and he's put him in the garden and everything else. He's created Adam and Eve. And then he says to them this. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living creature that moves on the ground. It says be fruitful and increase in number. If we jump to John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you might go and be fruitful. Go and be fruitful. And then he carries on and later on he says, And this is my command, love one another. Love for God and love for others is the starting point of where we are. But fruitfulness is the goal of what we to do. Our lives. That we are created. He chose us so that we would be happy, healthy, wealthy. He chose us that life would go easy. He chose us that we could do what we want. No. He chose us so that we would be fruitful. Fruitful. That's why he chose us. That's why he's created us, that we would be fruitful. And in John chapter 15, we see this image of the vine, the true vine, and the branches. The true vine is Jesus, and we are the branches. And if you look in, uh, in, in biblical history, you see that the, the true vine, the, the vine is actually also Old Testament refers to Israel. And we see how that was worked out. But there's the fruitfulness in he, that he brings in this chapter in, in John chapter 15. That fruitfulness and abiding in him are connected. You can't be fruitful without abiding in him. And in this picture that Jesus uses, he speaks about himself being the true vine. We are the branches and God the Father is the gardener. And he says that he prunes those things that are not fruitful. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, I'll read from there. We read chapter 15 verse 1 to 8. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such, a branch, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It speaks about God the Father as the gardener who prunes to bring fruitfulness. And we commissioned and we instructed to be fruitful. And so there's a direct link between God's work in us and fruitfulness and God's pruning. That's why we're looking at it this morning. So I want to see how we respond to that scripture. 
What does fruitfulness mean? And what does pruning entail? And what does pruning mean? The starting point is this. You have to be in Jesus. If you are not saved, you are not a branch grafted into the vine. Then no matter how much stuff goes on, the life of God will never flow through you. The fullness of what you've been created for and created to be will never be fulfilled because it only happens when you are in Jesus. When we're not in Jesus, we're not saved. The children this morning in the kingdom, because I, I kind of do that stuff as well, uh, they're looking at the last of the ten plagues in, the, in, in Egypt. And it's the one where the firstborn is killed. And it's that whole picture which points to our salvation and the first Passover, that there was the blood that was drawn on the, uh, painted on the, the doorposts of the homes. And if you were in the home be covered by that blood, you were safe and you were saved. But if you were outside those places, then you were not safe and you were not saved. And the same is true. Our starting point is that we are in the vine. Children of God, saved. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We are in Him. That has to be our starting point. So now we respond as, what is God doing? How does God prune us? If you look at what pruning is, pruning is this. Pruning aims to ensure... Plants are healthy and vigorous, free from structural weakness, and that there is the least risk of disease. It maximizes production or their yield and the quality of the yield. Pruning causes stress, but it is never done without good reason or without a clear idea of the effects of every single cut. Now, I know every analogy has its limitations, and even this one does, but there's so much we can learn from that. When we remember that God is the gardener and we are the branches. Often when I hear people speak about pruning in the context of church and church life, it's usually in the context of people leaving or God's pruning. Which, God does do that sometimes, but not every time. Sometimes people leaving is because of transfers or selfishness or uh, offense or their own kind of consumed with their own world. And that's another whole thing. But pruning, that can be an element or evidence of pruning, but pruning is so much more than that. But because it causes pain when people leave, we tend to say, well, that's pruning. Well, it's not. It's just being human and responding to brokenness. Sometimes God does work through that, but pruning has, is different. Pruning is very specific and has very definite outcomes. And no matter how stressful or no matter how often it is, it is always at the gardener's hand for the benefit and good of the plant. So in other words, it's always from God for our good, for our health that we would be structurally sound and solid, that there would be the least possibility of disease, that we would be fruitful, and fruit that would last. You see, God's desire is that each one of us be transformed into the image of Jesus. You can read that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And it begins with work in our hearts and our minds, and is outworked in the fruit of the Spirit. As soon as that starts happening, that God works within us, 
by His Spirit and we start to display fruit of the Spirit, then that affects every other area of our life. It affects how we think, what we do, who we speak to, how we speak. Our actions, our words, our activities, the things we give ourselves to are all affected by God working in us. The result of spiritual fruitfulness is glory to God and us becoming more and more like Jesus. So what is the fruit? I think it's more than just fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes we can limit fruitfulness. And again, in church context, we can read fruitfulness. We need to be fruitful. And we understand that part of that is we called and commissioned to love God and love others and make disciples of all nations. And, And so therefore, fruitfulness must be people getting saved. That's also only one part of it. Fruitfulness, I think, starts with fruit of the Spirit in us, Galatians chapter 5. That as we abide in Him and He in us and His Spirit grows and works in our lives and we respond with surrender and allow Him to move and change us, then the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident and that is fruitfulness. Then there's also, we see in the word in in Matthew 28, uh, with regard to the Great Commission, there's the fruitful labor, fruitfulness in, in what we do for Him, fruitfulness in the kingdom of people being saved, which is fruitfulness. If James chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 8 to 9, and also 2 Corinthians 5 speaks about the fruit of our good works. So the good works that we do for him, not for ourselves, not for our own glory, but the good works that we do for him that uh, display our faith in him, that is the fruit, that is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is, is life that is the product of us abiding in the vine. Well, if you read the NIV version of that scripture in John chapter 15, it uses the word abide, I think it's about seven times, and remain about 11 times. It's trying to get the point across that we need to be in him and remain in him. And so fruit is fruit of the spirit, fruit of our labor, fruit of our works, fruit of remaining in him. And each of those areas cover a large part of our lives But the fact is that we are to be fruitful. And our fruitfulness isn't obtained through self-effort or plans or this is what I'm going to do or this is a thing that we're doing. But it it comes from us being in Him. You see, this scripture, as well as Matthew chapter 7, where it says that by your fruit you will recognize them, The fruitfulness or the fruit that is displayed in our lives is directly related to what or who controls our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our lives. It says, out of the overflow of the mouth, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you recognize them by their their fruit, what he's saying is a good fruit can't produce bad, a, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A good tree produces good fruit out of the good that is stored up. A bad tree produces bad fruit out of that which is stored up. In other words, who or what controls your heart and your life? That determines the fruit. So if you're not connected to Him, if you're not abiding in Him, and you don't have the Spirit of God in you, no matter how much you try, you will always produce ungodly fruit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And it says that God's the gardener and he prunes. And like we, I read there, the description of pruning is to bring health, fruitfulness, uh, free from disease, and all of those things. Now there's some areas that 
a gardener will prune can prune away dead wood. If you've done any gardening at all or any pruning, you'll see when you come to a plant, there's some areas there, there is dead wood. It can have a, a stem that's growing really healthy and then there's a point and then it's dead. So he cuts off. You cut off the dead wood so that it hasn't have the risk of dis- infecting the rest of the plant. So in our lives, what are the things in our lives that are dead wood? What are the things in your life that are dead wood? It could be things of the past. It could be things that are just, you've, you kind of were there, but God wants to remove that so that actually it hasn't got the risk of bringing disease to your life. Sometimes you prune, off, most often you prune living tissue in a plant. So where the plant is growing. And that's so that it can be healthy, can be strong. But what it does is it's removing something that is robbing the plant of its life and the vigor for which it should be producing. And so maybe there are areas in your life that actually God is saying, that area may not be bad, but it's robbing you from my best. Allow him, as he says, I want that to be removed. Allow him to do that. Surrender to his hand. And those aren't easy. Some, some areas of flesh might be diseased. Because not all diseased stuff is dead. Some of it's still living and it's diseased. And God needs to remove that. So that's easy. That could be sin. That could be patterns of thinking. It could be, but it's diseased. So God wants to remove that. Other areas could be healthy, but it's not the best that God has for you. And those could be things of attitudes and it could even be relationships. It could be things that you do, priorities, habits, ways of doing things that are not sinful but are stopping you being and doing what God has for you. That's why it's not easy. But if we to be fruitful and live in the fullness of what God has for us, we need to allow Him to do that. Sometimes the form of pruning is in, in those areas is because of what he sees for the future. Remember what I said? Pruning is there that not a single cut is made without good cause and without a proper consideration of what that cut is going to produce. Because you choose. It's, pruning is not hacking. You can see we've got a neighbor on the one side. We've got three sides of neighbors. So we've got a neighbor on the one side who, who hacks his apple tree. That's all I can say. It still produces fruit. It looks horrendous. He never picks anything. It just, this tree could be so much better. There's no thought. He randomly, this year he hacks this branch, that branch, and then he gives up, and the next year he hacks this branch, that branch, and, and it's just ridiculous. There's others on the other side, who the, the damson tree, they don't prune at all, and they need to, because it had one really good harvest, and now for the last three years there's been next to nothing. In actual fact, there's an infestation in that tree which we have to clean off in our garden because of them. You see, that can happen to us. Sometimes, that's why sometimes God's saying the relationship's not wrong, it's not sinful, but it's stopping you because that person is not following after God or might be a believer and not doing the things and dealing with the issues and so now it's affecting you. So if we use our damson tree, our neighbor's damson tree, they've got an infestation on there where it spits all sorts of stuff. And it just slowly covers every single plant of ours that's on our side of the fence that's underneath that. So this week I have, I've had to go in the evening and, and I've never had to do this before. I've had to clean the rose leaves. 
Because if I don't clean the muck that that is dropping on this, my plant's going to die. Sometimes relationships are like that. Sometimes things in our friendships are people that we hang out with, maybe from the past, they are not dealing with stuff. And actually the muck from their lives, we're allowing it to suffocate us. You see, if I didn't clean the stuff off, the rose leaves, it builds a film that then builds mold, that then restricts every bit of light and breathing that the, and my plant will die because of that. That's why it's so important that when, and that thing has never been pruned. So important that as we live our lives, we allow God to prune the things that are not for our best. And they may be painful, but we've got to know this, that it is always because He is the perfect God and has our best at heart. And for us to be fruitful and increase. Pruning may come in the form of trials. Hard things that we go through. All of us face different challenges all the time, but sometimes God uses trials to bring us to the end of our self-reliance and our understanding that we completely are reliant and dependent on Him. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. The Old Testament, the nation of Israel, was represented by the vine, and you can see that as you read through the Old Testament. And as the vine, they were not bearing fruit that was faithful, that was in keeping with those being faithful because of their disobedience. But Jesus replaces all of that in this. He, he is the perfect vine that always produces faithfulness when we are connected to Him. But we have complete dependence on Him. I think sometimes the sooner we understand that we are not the vine, but we are the branches, the better. Too often we try and live as if we're the vine and everything is about our own strength. We're just branches. And if we're not connected to Him, we are not having the fullness of life coming through us. You could say this, the branches are the visible manifestation of the life that is in the vine. The branches is where, it's on the branches that the fruit is carried, not the vine, the branches. And they're there because of what's in the vine. In the same way, we are the visible manifestation of the life of God that is in us as we connected to Jesus. We're not the vine, we are the branches. And there's this connection in, in John 15 of the importance of us abiding in the vine. Living, connected, dependent on Him, which, require, which is basically living in obedience to God. Abiding in the vine comes naturally to a plant. It doesn't to believers. That's why He's encouraging us. We actually need to give attention to it and put work into Abiding in Him. Because it takes effort. It takes effort to worship. Meditating on His Word. Prayer. Sacrifice. Service. Obedience to the Word. John 10, 15, 9 and 10. To abide in Christ and His love means that we are to keep His commands. And you see, God gives His commands and His boundaries and instructions out of his love for us. What he prunes, he does for our good. What he prohibits, he prohibits for our good. What he requires or asks of us is for our good. And so when we understand that, that the boundaries that he sets, the truth that he speaks, the things that he requires of us, are an outworking or a manifestation of His love for us. 
And he expects that our obedience to those is a manifestation of our love for him. In actual fact, Psalm 1 to 1 and 2 says this, basically says that his laws and commands should be a delight to every Christian because they're a manifestation of his love for us. He gives them to keep us from the things that will harm us or destroy us. He gives them that our lives would then point to Jesus and others would be saved. You see, he inseparably joins abiding in him and love and obedience. They all connected. And if we look at his commands as anything other than coming out from his love for us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. It's the same as if we view his pruning as anything else that coming out of his love for us, we're in trouble. But as we submit ourselves to him, then we live with fruitfulness. Living a fruitful life is the calling of every believer. That's you and I. And it comes with us abiding in him. And so... My question is this. What are the areas, attitudes, activities, acquaintances, you can think of any other A that you want, that are stopping us from living in God's best and He's requiring us that we surrender to His pruning? And are you seeing that as a manifestation of his love for us and therefore our response and obedience is one of love or are we trying to do it in our own strength remember that he is the vine and we are the branches and if we're not in him then we have nothing before this morning's meeting I went into the garden here and got this I know it's not a vine but unless Apart from the miracle that was Aaron's rod that budded, so don't come to me with that example, that was a miracle. Apart from that, this would never bear fruit. There's nothing good in this. Oh, sorry, Ben. There's nothing good. <laughs> it hit him. Nothing good. There's no life. It's dry. What would you use this for? The only thing that this is good for is fire. No matter how much I wet it, paint it, plant it, stick things on, it's never going to bear fruit. If we're not abiding in Him and allowing Him to cut this stuff off, then we become like this. Yet that's not who we created to be. So what is God saying? Surrender to him, his loving hand, his passionate outpouring. Jesus' obedience to the Father through his love for the Father went to the cross. If you're a believer, you're in the vine. Surrender and submit yourself to the working of the gardener who is God to prune off the dead stuff, to cut off the diseased stuff. Maybe there's even some normal stuff 
that He wants to remove so that you can be more fruitful and experience the fullness and the best of what He has. That's what He's calling us to. That's why at the very beginning, the stuff that God wants to shatter, what is that stuff? Today, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Allow the power of God to go through. And if you need someone to pray with you, come and find someone. But we're not called to live like this. Stay in Him. And let His life flow through you so that you can be fruitful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your uh, uh, life that flows through us. This morning, I pray that by Your Spirit, You would pinpoint in every single one of our lives exactly what it is that needs to change, that You are dealing with, that would bring fruitfulness and fullness of life. God, the dead things, the diseased things, and even the good things that are not for the best of what you have for us. We surrender to you. Show us, Lord, every one of us, individually but also corporately, those things that are robbing us from being fruitful in you, fruitful of the gifts, fruitful of your spirit, your, your, the fruit of the Spirit evident in us, fruitful of people's lives being transformed, fruitful of just living the abundance of life that is in you with joy, with passion, with zeal, for your kingdom and your glory. And Lord, we thank you. When you get the glory, we experience the joy of what that means too. Come Holy Spirit and have your way. Speak to us, each one of us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is not grafted in, that is not part of your family, that Lord, this morning you'd speak, you'd draw them and they would bend their knee. that they would be saved and be grafted in and your life can flow through them. Help us, Lord, to live abiding in you, responding in obedient love. In Jesus' name, amen.